You're listening to episode 148 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden, and today I'm chatting with Renee Swope. She is going to talk to us about overcoming insecurities and friendship. I don't think there's many things that can hinder community more than us not needing each other. Um, I talk about how Paul became comfortable with his weakness and that God wants us to be comfortable in our weakness because it get, you know it keeps us dependent on him and, and and comfortable with needing each other. And I think it's the you know it's our weaknesses that often keep us connected. Like it was you know you might not have wanted to think of yourself as a mom. It was your weakness that made you need a mentor, but it was a weakness is a lack, you know. So it's where we're lacking there's this beautiful opportunity for someone else to come in and fill that gap. And the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about, Paul talks about just the body of Christ, us. I mean, that's just the beauty of community. Once again, a podcast episode is released and it hits really close to home. Uh, Years ago, Bruce and I, he was working on his career and I was trying to keep four young children alive and there was not space or time for community, we were not making that a priority in our life. Uh, we'd had it before, and then we just, for a good three years, kind of pulled away from people, and didn't. It took a long time to kind of get back into it. And in the last year, God's been good to help me uh, build up some female friendships at church and at the boys' school. He's helped Bruce and his friendships. We've been a part of a community group. And then this crisis has happened in our lives in the last month with my parents getting very sick and my father passing. And we've had a call on community. People have brought meals. People have brought groceries and paper goods. I mean, you don't even have time to buy toilet paper when you're in these crisis situations. They've watched our kids, um, flown to Indianapolis to bring us uh, goodies and to be present with us. And... We need this community. We need the community, but sometimes we're afraid to be vulnerable, to step out, to share ourselves. And today, Renee and I are going to talk about that. She and a team of Encourage Writers have written a book called Craving Connection. And so today we're narrowing in on the topic Renee wrote about uh, having written a book, A Confident Heart, years ago. She is familiar with insecurity and self-doubt. And so she applied that to friendship. When someone says, how are you? Are you willing to be vulnerable with that person and say how you really are? Are you willing to say, I need help? Are you willing to step out there and ask for a mentor? And then let's say you are willing. How do you find that good friend? She has some tips for that. How do you get over self-sufficiency and accept help? I'll tell you, (laughs) when you get to the bottom of the bottom, you are willing to accept help. But Renee and I are going to talk about all these things today. I look forward to sharing with you. So here, let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Renee, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to get to know you and to share you with my listeners because, oh, you have wisdom, which I love always. Everyone hears me say that on the show and experience and just the realness that you're walking through, the real life that all of us are walking through and sharing it with us, how how you're turning to God. So thank you and welcome. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Heather. Okay, I like to get to know guest families. So could you take a second and just kind of introduce us to your crew? That would be great. Oh, I would absolutely love to. So we have been married to JJ for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And um, a fun fact about my marriage is that my husband's younger than I am. Hey, that's cool. So that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so we got married while he was still in college. I had been out for a couple of years. And um, our first son was born three days after he graduated. So Joshua was born 21 years ago. Wow. And then we have another son, Andrew, who is 18, and he's a freshman in college. And then we adopted um, our little girl, Aster, when she was 10 months old, and she is now eight. So we have a 21-year-old, 18-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And correct me if I'm wrong, but she's from Ethiopia. It's an international adoption. Okay. Yeah, yes. So we traveled, all of us actually got to travel to Ethiopia in 2009 to bring her home, and um, which is just a really neat part of our story, both hers and theirs. So, How did your boys react to all that? Um, 
so Probably a big question, but well, Andrew, um, who was about 10, mm-hmm. nine or 10 when we first started the process, he and my husband were the ones who were like, let's do this. This will be great. <laughs> and Joshua and I were both like, um, this is going to turn our world upside down. We really like our normal. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, we all just felt called to it. And so we went over, um, to Ethiopia and it was just amazing to watch both of them. I think just taking in the, you know, a third world country where you have, um, just a lot of poverty, but then also the contrast of some wealth within the the center of the city when we were in the capital city and, um, just them processing all that, but also them, um, seeing, you know, where she's from, we got to meet her birth mom. And part of the reason we really wanted them there was we want them to be able to tell her her story Mm -hmm. as she grows up. Not that it's just us. And, um, but I mean, they were amazing and it changed their lives. And as, as Aster grew and, um, she developed just some anxiety and sensory processing, um, struggles and some things over time, our boys at one point, my husband and I were not getting sleep. Aster didn't sleep for a whole year mm. um, when she was about three. And about four months into it, my husband and I were sinking into sleep-deprived depression. Mm. And uh, my oldest was 16 at that time. And he, we sat down with him. We were like, can we rotate? Like, wanna, like we'll just take turns. Yeah. And my 16-year-old was like, you know what? We're teenagers, and you guys have jobs. And we think you need to move the mattress out of your bedroom and why don't we just rotate every other night? We'll sleep on her floor. And mm-hmm. and then if she wakes up, she can get in bed with us. And, um, you know, they became just the most compassionate, um, you know, not, not unselfish. I mean, to, in, in normal situations, they were still selfish, but they were very <laughs> self in that situation. And, um, and I can see now as they're young men, just how much it's shaped them and their hearts and mm-hmm. their compassion and their selflessness at times. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yes. As a mom to four boys, um, we've had some recent decisions we've had to make with family and do we make life comfortable and easy for my boys Mm -hmm. so that they never have to see hard things or do we expose Mm -hmm. them to hard things and them grow in character and have their story be stretched? Yeah. You know, that, that maybe easy and convenient isn't the answer to being a good parent. Like we sometimes it absolutely think. is not. <laughs> it isn't. It's an automatic. Like I want my children to have a good life and great memories, and but I, it really makes them selfish, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. And then yes. the world doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. And um, and I did hesitate. I was even like I was concerned about ruining their lives and you know completely changing their normal. As we adopted a baby because we thought we were going to adopt an older mm-hmm. girl or two, and then we ended up with a baby through mm-hmm. the referral process and. I was worried about it, but yeah, um, gosh, I wouldn't change anything. Like it has so shaped who they are today and I'm so proud of who they've become. Mm. So very cool. Okay. I just like talking to you. I could talk to you about anything, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So let's tell a little bit of your story. So how did you get into writing and speaking? I know you've been with Proverbs 31 for a while. Tell us a little about your story of how you got to a place where you're sharing it with others. It's, you know, it's interesting because it's not ever something I wanted to do. And I'm one of the, you know, most people I meet who want to write and speak, they're asking me like, how did you get into it? Like, how can I? And honestly, I ran from it. Mm. I sensed God wanting me to share my story in my early twenties. I came to Christ. I became a Christian and gave my life to Christ when I was 21. And I gave him my life out of a place of complete brokenness. I had struggled with clinical depression and, um, just a really rough childhood. And, um, I was broken. And yet as I came to know God and, and just experience hope and redemption and, um, I sensed him wanting me to share my story. And I didn't want to because I wanted a happily ever after white picket fence Mm. Christian woman story, you know? Yeah. And I ran from that sense of his calling for 10 years. And then when I was in my early thirties, I want, I just sensed again, and God just showing me through a series of events, like that he wanted me to share my story. And so I started opening up my heart just in my Bible study at the church and just different doors that God opened. Um, 
and started to do some writing for my church. And then Proverbs Three One Ministries was actually not a place where I had planned to do ministry. It was just a place where I wanted friends. <laughs> we moved yeah. to Charlotte and I had a new baby and I was just looking for some girlfriends. And it was a tiny ministry that had a newsletter for stay-at-home moms. And I was just volunteering behind the scenes. And then over time, the ministry expanded into speaking and writing training. And it was an area where I was growing through my church. And so it all kind of, you know, as God, I'm sure, had planned all along, it started to morph together. And so that's, I mean, really it was through my local church and just volunteering for some things. And then writing for the newsletter, which then became the magazine, which then we developed devotions. And so that's where my writing started. Um, And then my speaking was really similar path through my church and then through other churches that would, you know, be at an event where I spoke or shared my testimony. And then Proverbs developed a speaking team. And um, I started doing things just locally. And then as my kids got a little bit older, my boys because we didn't have Astra at the time, got a little bit older. I would, you know, go out of town maybe to one state over. And and then it just expanded from there. So I um, have actually been with Proverbs um, for 21 years. So, wow. Wow. and, but like I said, it started when we first got to Charlotte and I just needed some girlfriends. <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, and so, and I, I wrote my first book in, it released in 2011. So okay. I had been speaking for about 10 or 11 years and um, writing a book is a huge endeavor. So it's something <laughs> yes. it's something that I never wanted to do because I've, I've watched friends write books and I know what it takes and what it can, it can cost spiritually and physically and emotionally. But um, the Lord just had an agent come to me and ask me, you know, why I had never written a book and she'd heard me speak. And, um, my husband and I knew if that ever happened, that would probably be a sign (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's really unusual for an agent, um, to come to you. And people had asked me to write a book before, but that, so I started that process, um, actually in 2009, around the same time our adoption started to fall into place. Um, wow. So you were adopting and writing a book at the same time. Yes. Call me insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's really crazy because um, I had our, we had started the process of adoption in 2008 and things were going really slow. And so after about six months, I had already started the process of considering writing a book. And then when we got our referral for Aster, I thought, there's no way I can write a book if we were adopting a baby. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down with my husband um, and my, and then my oldest son, Joshua, who was about 13 or 14 at the time, and just said, okay, guys, I really think I need to pull out of this book writing process now that we know we're getting a 10-month-old. But I don't want to make an emotional decision, so I'm going to put this in y'all's hands because you're the ones who are going to have to carry a lot of the weight at home if I do write a book. And they both said, we feel like you're still, you're still supposed to do this, so we'll we'll fill in. We'll do what it takes for us to do this thing. So mm-hmm. I didn't jump into it, you know, without, like, making sure my team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or my people are on board, you know, because adopting and writing a book, it's a family affair and it's a, both are huge commitments. Mm. Um, and it, I had to put the book on hold a couple different times. I have a, an amazing publisher who was very supportive. And so. And tell everyone the name of that book. So, yeah. So the name of the book is A Confident Heart mm-hmm. and the subtitles How to Stop Doubting Yourself and Live in the Security of God's Promises. And um, that released in 2011. And I think that even in that story, it shows the struggle of, you know, you're saying a confident heart and to not have self-doubt, but also there's the balance of being wise and knowing when it's a yes and when it's a no. And it may not be, you know, there may be some self-doubt and insecurity and can I get this done with all these things going on? But then there's also, yes. (laughs) And then there's also the wisdom of, you know what, I can't, and I'm going to put it aside for a little bit and Mm -hmm. trust that and be confident that God will in his promise, fulfill it. And, yeah. and that, and that, that dance between the two is, is tricky for everyone and different decisions and choices they have to make. Absolutely. And it was the hardest part because when things get hard, when I've stepped into something that I've sensed God's calling me to, and I am one who's like, 
all right, God, like prove it, like give me verses, <laughs> like chase me down with a sermon, a song, whatever. Um, but when it gets hard, I can really still start to question myself. I mean, I didn't write a confident heart out of a place of, oh, I grew up and was born with confidence and let me show you how. Mm-hmm. I wrote it out of a place of living with paralyzing self-doubt that was hidden and no one knew that I had this internal battle going on, you know, a lot. Not, I wouldn't say in everything, but as I wrote the book, I battled with self-doubt. And honestly, I think God called me, I know God called me to write the book. 50% of it, at least, <laughs> was for me. to. And, and as I wrote the book, because 50% of the book was stuff I'd been through, and 50% of the book was stuff I walk through as I wrote the book and he used it to truly set me free Mm. and to teach me how to, um, to deal with self-doubt. And, you know, he never zapped me and took away all my (laughs) self-doubt. Yeah. gave me this unending confidence, but he, he, he gave me tools and he showed me how to process self-doubt in a way now that it, it can't become paralyzing or at least not, you know, sometimes things will happen even in this past year. And, um, I, I will, it's so subtle, you know, self-doubt and insecurity is so subtle mm-hmm. and, um, that self-questioning and uncertainty or fear of failure, or fear of rejection or fear of hearing God wrong, you know, all of that just is all the many, many roots of it. Um, but it doesn't become paralyzing like it used to, or at least I catch myself, my spirit sensitive to what it looks like, what it smells like, um, what it starts to feel like. And then I'll go back to the book cause it's just packed with, um, not only spiritual truths, but real life application um, tools that, you know, sayings that I came up with, like, if I feel this, you know, if then statements I ran, yeah. you know, yeah. I ran like, if I feel this way, then I need to go to this truth. And I really read the book thinking if nobody else reads it, at least it'll be a resource for me. <laughs> We're so forgetful too. And there's uh, so much habit of that insecurity to mm-hmm. to come to a place where, the habit is is a more confident place based on, again, like you said, not because we necessarily have it all together, but shifting it to less about us and more about God. Mm-hmm. That that's that takes just like me trying to learn basketball. That takes some time and some practice. Exactly, okay? exactly. and that's why that's in the subtitle. It's how to stop doubting yourself and live in the security of God's promises. Mm-hmm. Because what I had to shift from was living in the insecurity mm-hmm. of my uncertainty and doubt and literally step into um, the security of God's promises and walk them out as though they are true, no matter what my emotions or circumstances tell me. Mm-hmm. And I literally, like I would activate, <laughs> you know, God's power by acting on one of his promises. And it it, it, it would come, um, but I had to step into um, situations where, you know, he had shown me clearly, this is what I'm supposed to do, like write the book. But um I had to step into that, in that place of obedience and his power would then come. Yeah. Um, just like we see throughout the Bible, you know, the, the, the Red Sea didn't part until they put their feet in, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's faith. And I think, <laughs> but, yeah, you say your thought, your actions follow your thoughts. So it's right. taking those captives, shifting them to truth and repeating right. that, then, then your belief will follow and your feelings will follow and your actions will follow. Exactly. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is that when we change the way we think, we change the way we feel, which then shapes the way we act. Mm. But oftentimes we want to change the way we feel. Yep. So we, cho- we eat chocolate <laughs> or we go shopping or we, yeah. but we, we never change the way we think. And mm. that is crucial. It's key. It is the secret. Mm. Yeah. And even, I know for me, I can get in that negative spiral that negativity yeah. and critical spirit and, and f- feel sorry for myself place. And everyone I talk to, they're like, how are you? And I'm, I'm pretty honest. I'll say not great, mm-hmm. you know, but then mm-hmm. I don't know if that that's really me projecting. I don't want to fake. Oh, I believe right. God is one. good. God is yeah. good. Well, okay. He is good, but I don't, I don't feel that right now. Right. But at the same time, I can't stay in that. I can't trust those feelings. I can identify them and say, I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling sad, but to shift out of them. I think that's so helpful that you wrote that book and you're helping women do that. It's really. Well, and just, I really want to give women permission. And that's what I feel like the book has done. 
is give women permission to say, I feel this way. Because Mm -hmm. what happened was I thought I was the only one. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't want to write on that topic. I didn't want to speak on that topic because I'd never heard someone talk about self-doubt and insecurity. Now, Beth Moore's book came out about mm, six months, maybe a year before mine, but I didn't know it was coming Mm -hmm. when I signed my contract. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I've discovered is that there's an epidemic struggle mm. um, among women and men, but the response to the book shocked me. Mm. And it's because um, women are struggling with this and nobody's talking about it because mm. one, we can be shamed into, well, you should have more faith. Mm-hmm. Or two, people can use it against us like, oh, she's insecure and fearful and or we think they'll use it against us. So if I tell you I'm struggling with insecurity and I tell you, you know, what my fears are, then I'm afraid you're going to start to see me differently. So then we don't tell people. And I feel like what the book did was it was my way of saying, okay, I'll go first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As scared as I am, as crazy as this is, I love Jesus. And so I'm going to go first. And, um, Gosh, it has been so um, rewarding to see and hear from women who have been set free Mm -hmm. from fear and anxiety and self-doubt and um, are living in their their calling and they're they're bringing the fullness of who they are as a mom into their homes. Because, you know, it affects every relationship. It doesn't just affect, affect us, you know, in our career. I mean, it affects who we are as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. Yeah. And um, so, Well, let's yeah. talk about the friend part. Okay, let's talk about Because <laughs> you also just contributed to this book. It's 30 Challenges for Real Life Engagement. Uh, it's called Craving Connection. And I flipped through, I read your chapter. I also flipped through and read several of my friends' chapters. Looking through, like, I know these gals. I've had a lot of these gals on the show. Uh, and it, I loved your part about, honestly, it fits in with what we're talking about insecurity and vulnerability and friendship, um, to not just say when someone comes up to you, cause I've had this recently and going through my hard season, the decision when someone says, Hey, how are you doing? And it's Christmas time and I know everyone's stressed. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to choose. Am I going to say I'm stressed? Am I going to say <laughs> the whole truth of everything that's going on in my life? Or am I going to say I'm good because there's not enough time uh, right. to get into it? And your chapter is about you share a story about that choice. And do you let someone in and say, you know, what's really going on in your heart and in your struggle? Or do you just say fine and move on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that story. Um because I'm sure there's a mom listening who can relate. Yeah, so the story opens up with a question I think that we all ask ourselves when someone says, how are you? Um, My question, you know, I just thought, should I be honest? You know, I just wondered, should I be honest? Um, And then I thought, what if I start crying? And this was like in a split second, I thought these things, because I was standing in the lobby at church waiting for my husband. He'd gone to get our little girl out of the children's ministry area. And a a friend I knew that I hadn't seen in a long time. Um, We were, you know, not close friends. Um, So she asked me, hey, how are you doing? And I just had to decide in that moment, like, am I going to be honest or am I just going to smile and say, hey, we're doing fine. Mm -hmm. And um, just the week before we had been through some assessments with our daughter who was probably about two, two and a half at the time. Um, and we were discovering that she had some language processing delays and they had mentioned the word apraxia, which I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were told like, they didn't know if that's what she had. They didn't know if she would overcome this. They, they couldn't promise me she would one day completely talk and all of these things were going on. And I had really been an emotional wreck the week before. And I just didn't know whether to share with Kelly, like I'm, I'm struggling, you know, cause I was afraid I'd start crying. And, right. um, but I decided to, you know, I just, in that moment decided to be brave and, um, and let her know, like, I'm just, we're walking through a hard time. This is what's going on with Aster. And, um, you know, in the end, she said, like, I'm so glad you were willing to share with me 
because Renee, I look at your life and from a distance as we pass each other in church or see each other, you know, in the grocery store or whatever. And I just think, you know, you have it all together and your life looks great. Mm. And, you know, I didn't realize that you were even going through this Mm. and I want to pray for you and I'm here for you. Like if you need my girls to come over and babysit, like she just stepped into my world Mm. and um, it was a beautiful thing. But there's lots of times when I've wanted to say I'm fine, you know, when I'm not, because I think other people expect me to be, you know, or want me to be, or, you know, I think we say I'm fine because we think by saying that eventually we will be, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, and, or we don't want to be seen as high maintenance Mm. Um, because I'm like you, like, I don't like to pretend like everything's fine. I don't dump everything on everybody, but I, I just, I, I like authentic relationships and I never want people to think my life is all together and that, you know, I don't struggle just like they do, Mm. but, um, but I also don't want to be seen as high maintenance. You know, I want to be seen as a fun person who you want to hang out with. So there's all these things that go on in our heads when we're wondering, you know, whether, what we should say or not. And all those insecurities, like you said, that fear of rejection. If I say this and they think, Oh my gosh, what crazy. Can't you? Yeah. Again, the faith thing. Well, she just doesn't have faith. You know, God made that child for, you know, all the, all the scripture comes at you and you think, oh, I just don't really need a sermon right now. I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad. (laughs) That's the last thing we need. I call it a sidewalk sermon. (laughs) I do not need that. And you know, the, how do we get over that insecurity and that, you know, what are some ways that you've done that so that you can confidently enter those conversations? I guess the discernment comes from God on knowing who's a safe person and who's not, but what well, advice do you have? My thing is to first become that kind of friend mm. because by becoming that kind of friend, I can then sense um, who wants that kind of friendship. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when someone shares with me how they're doing or not doing, like just, just instead of just listening to what they're saying, maybe asking a question about what they're not saying. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and really being the one who just becomes that kind of friend that I don't give a sermon. I don't, you know, I talk about pouring peroxide on a wound, like a, like a, you know, a scripture, like it's just going to take all the the hurts away. And I tried not to do those things um, to be able to kind of read the friendship. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 Um, because some people don't want to go below the surface. They really do want a surface relationship and that's okay, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but those probably aren't going to be the people that I'm going to feel as safe with. And, um, and it's not like I can have, you know, 15 or 20 different friends. Uh, you know, I have, I need a small group of friends that I can be safe with, be real with, we can support each other and who I can call and say, I'm falling apart or text and say, I'm falling apart. Will you pray for me? Or I just need to process, mm-hmm. you know, cause sometimes as women for me, and, and maybe you can relate to this, um, and, and, and friends listening to just sometimes all of the thoughts and emotions, if I can process them with someone, they'll lose the weight and then I can move into that place of not just feeling everything that's so heavy, but okay, what does God say? What's God's perspective on this? And this just happened to me um, last week and a friend really helped me get to that new place where I was really struggling with some more news. We got about our daughter, you know, now she's eight. So we've been through, six more years of, um, of assessments and evaluations and just got some hard results back and some evaluations. And I just was grieving, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, I just was mm-hmm. disappointed because I'd gotten my hopes up on some progress she'd made. And I just was grieving and a friend of mine just validated, mm-hmm. you know, that having a child with special needs is just, you know, it is a journey of so many ups and downs, so many joys, so many disappointments, um, so much unexpected grief. And she just val- she just kind of named where I was, which mm-hmm. made me think, okay, I'm normal. Yeah. And <laughs> this is normal. This yes. is part of it. But then after I processed with her and we got off the phone, I felt like God, I could then hear him. And I felt like he said, your little girl overcame death. Like she almost died of starvation in Ethiopia. She had pneumonia three times before you adopted her. She is an overcomer. That Mm -hmm. is her story. And focus on what is and who she is, not just what you don't know. And it, but I almost needed to get through all of that emotion and grief and sadness so I could hear hope. Mm, mm, mm. And I think we need friends so that, I mean, I, I don't know that I, maybe I would have eventually gotten there, but I think <laughs> I'm 
taking me longer. Yeah. We need the ones to point our eyes. Yeah. We need our, we need those safe people to, Mm -hmm. like you said, I loved how you said that I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. that's why it matters that we don't just say fine all the time. What did you mm-hmm. say? Fine stands for frazzled, irritated, neurotic, yeah. exhausted. <laughs> we, we can't all the time because we do. We need someone to help us get out of it. Almost like yeah. stop the spinning, stop the mm-hmm. cycling. Um, I have those people that I can call and I know that they'll speak truth into me. And you said speak hope over mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. And I think that um, for me, and this is kind of a gross analogy, but I kind of have to puke out the hard stuff. Yeah. Yep. You know? yep. Like, you know, when you're sick and you just and I, say all mom, the horrible things talk about the bodily functions. Yes. Get all them so, out. Yes. But once you feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but I don't, I don't, I can't just do that by myself. Like mm-hmm. I need an in real life friend, um, that I can do that with and who won't stop me from feeling what I'm feeling, but she'll just let me feel it. She'll validate it, but then I can move on. But I find that when I don't have those real life friendships where I can process and I'm not, I don't, I don't have tons of them. Um, but I'm really intentional as I move through seasons of life, um, to make sure I have one or two because for my sanity, it is essential. My, and for my spiritual health, it's, you know, it's just crucial and, and they're hard to find. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that. Yeah. It feels like this season and this book is really important. And again, like you said, when your book Insecure, on insecurity came out, you said Beth Morris had come out. I think sometimes the, the Holy Spirit drives these things. Absolutely. And we've, we're almost like, oh, good, I'm on the right track because other writers and other speakers are speaking on this. Um, mm-hmm. This is God's heartbeat for us. And I think his heartbeat is that we've become disconnected from real life people. And uh, and it's like you said, we need that. We need skin on skin, mm-hmm. eyeball to eyeball. Um, you know, I had it on Sunday, my, my mentor, I just broke down and just for her to speak over me and to redirect and to pray for me and to know, for me to know that that person really cares about me. They're not just hitting a like button and, you know, that just, I'm not, it's not a voyeurism kind of situation. It's a real person in my life. So how do we find these people? If some gal's out there and she does not have it whether she's moved to a new place, there's so much moving nowadays, or Mm -hmm. she's got young kids and feels really isolated and alone. How do we make these real friendships? Well, and I think it's different depending on where we are. Um, I think that the big, the first thing that I have to convince myself is that I'm not the only lonely one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, when we moved to Charlotte 20 something years ago, I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, I was getting ready. Actually, I was going to get together with Lisa Turkhurst because I had seen her name in the newspaper and wanted, I just needed someone to tell me like about pediatricians and churches. And, you know, she wasn't Lisa Turkhurst then. (laughs) She was just Lisa Turkhurst. (laughs) And um, so we met at Chick-fil-A for lunch. And I, but I remember on the way over there praying, Oh Lord, please like make her think I'm cool and want to be my friend. And (laughs) cause I just need a friend, you know, we're in this new big city. And, um, and I just felt like God whispered to my heart, you know, pray for, um, you know, for ways for you to be the kind of friend she needs, you know, Mm. And it was such a mental shift um, instead of going into it, hoping my needs get met, just going into that lunch thinking, how can I be a good friend? And um, so I think that's a really good place to start. And it's and we became friends that day. But, you know, oh, it, it, it took us it took me three years being in Charlotte to feel like I had real friendships that like heart to heart, soul to soul friendships, because people already had friends. Lisa already had tons of friends. Everybody else I met already had tons of friends. They were in Bible studies. It just takes time. Um, but I think by being a good friend and just asking the Holy spirit, like make me sensitive to what, um, maybe it's a mom in your child's preschool or somebody you meet. I mean, I met friends in the, in the nursing room, like, you know, at church, they had rooms where you go and nurse your babies. I remember one of my first friends in Charlotte was a mom who I met in the nursing room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just asking God to, you know, show me places where I might meet people that are in the same season and then just help me be brave enough to reach out and, but, but not, Knowing that it takes time and not feeling like you're a reject if it doesn't happen right away and knowing that, I guess I share all this to say that I've been through that place of feeling like nobody needs a friend. 
you know, I have nothing to offer. I'm not cool enough. My clothes aren't hip enough, whatever, you know, but Mm -hmm. there's something about me that's making it take forever for me to find really close friends. That's just normal. It takes time, but looking for ways and common places of community. But also I think it's important that we, we get off our screens and we get into the world. And I'm as guilty as anybody of just being really busy with life and ministry and my family and, um, finding a sense of connection online that I realized over time was was a false sense of connection, but it was meeting maybe an immediate need for a relationship connection, but it wasn't meeting anything deeper than a very rice crispy, you know, um, quick, sweet connection, but there was nothing, there was no meaning in it. And so I've made some really drastic changes. Like I've taken social media off my phone um, so that when I'm, in carpool line, instead of just checking Instagram, I'll call a friend or I'll text a friend and really build real life relationships. That's a very good, tangible tip. Very good, tangible tip. There's insecurity, like we talked about with friendships, insecurity in sharing our stuff, insecurity mm-hmm. in stepping out there and, and putting ourselves out there. And like you said, uh, I think if we want friends that we can connect with, we need to think about how to be a good friend to them. And that includes, you talked about in your chapter, um, finding friends who are okay with your weakness, that mm-hmm. you don't have to be strong all the time. I think mm-hmm. that it's us being okay with other people's weakness. Too, yes. And us being that I think kind that's of friend. where it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where it starts. So I have a question for you. How did you find your mentor? She, it was me dropping off my third son in the, uh, was it three month old room, four month old room? She was working in that room and she was starting a mom heart group and she just invited me. She just invited Mm. me. She was brave. And, uh, we had a little group and I needed it. It was a season where I had three young, young kids and we met in her house and she always had fun treats and warm drinks and just filled us up. And so mom, so mom heart was a, like a ministry. Like Sally Clarkson's Clarkson's little mom heart groups. And she was just inspired. She went to the conference and she was inspired to start her own. And yeah, so we've stayed in touch. She has four boys too. And I didn't have four at the time, but God knew that I would. So yeah, her in my path, but you know, that is a challenge to the moms listening who are older and you're always older than somebody (laughs) Um, to take that risk and open yourself up and open your home and, make that invitation. I remember my mentor said, I don't feel, um, like I'm qualified to be a mentor. I didn't do things absolutely a hundred percent right. And I said, but you've done it and I need your help and I need your perspective. You've made it through. You're on the other side. And just to encourage her in that self doubt, I think that mentors feel that insecurity mentors feel, or, um, they don't want to hear from me. Those young hip, millennial moms, Uh they, they have got all their cute Instagram pics and they just know what's (laughs) going on. And they're so much more organized than I was at that age and not realizing that they're drowning. And, and I heard a, um, mops coordinator at a higher level say, you know, mops met a need about women feeling isolated, but now we're Mm -hmm. realizing these moms are questioning their marriages. These moms Mm -hmm. are questioning their core value that goes Mm -hmm. deeper than it used to of, oh, motherhood's hard. This is right. like foundational, deep stuff that older women need to be speaking life into the young moms. So such a desperate, such a desperate need. I just had lunch with um, two of the women who oversee women's ministry at my church. And they were saying that they want, like the biggest trend they have going on right now is women coming to them and saying, I need a mentor. I need a mentor. Like I need, and I'm like, this is beautiful because I saw in the church for years, not our church, we're in a new church, but as I speak, I get to connect with lots of churches across the country. And there, I saw this huge gap happen Mm -hmm. between generations where the younger ones were like, I don't need a mentor because you know, the culture is so different now and older women feel like I have nothing to offer, Mm -hmm. but it seems like, there is a rising tide of um, younger women feeling like, or all women feeling like, I need a mentor. I, I need someone to teach me how to be a wife and a mom and follow Jesus. And what does this look like? And, well, and you know what might be happening too is the the younger moms, information is everywhere. So mm-hmm. maybe when my mom was raising kids, she had a book 
you know, to go right. to and the Bible to go to as a resource and then whatever older women would speak and help her out. How do I actually cook this thing? What recipes do you have? Well, we can Google recipes. We can Pinterest mm-hmm. tells us exactly how to organize our rooms and all that stuff. We want wisdom. Yeah, you're right. And that only comes from people who've done it. I can't get you're wisdom right. from someone that hasn't done it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think there is a, right. more of a hunger for that in the younger generation, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, one thing you talked about that I wanted to bring up because it, it rung true for me is um, how self-sufficiency can hinder community and how pride can get in our way of asking mm-hmm. for help. So mm-hmm. you're in this season and like you shared with that woman at church that you were having a hard time getting the news um, and she offered her daughter's to come help and babysit. How do you then, you know, I've had people offer, can we bring you dinner? You know, how do you pull the trigger and say, yes, please bring me dinner? (laughs) Because I say, oh, that's so nice. Thanks. But I don't say, yes, you can come Tuesday night. You can bring, (laughs) like, it's really hard to do that. It is very, very hard. And I was raised by a mom who was like, well, and her goal was to raise me to be independent because she was a single mom. Mm. I mean, I remember her writing me a letter in college saying, I want you to get an education so you never have to depend on anyone. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, it was, it was, it was said that clearly. Yes. You will. Yes. Clearly. Wow. Okay. Very hard for me. Yeah. To, to, I mean, it, like even God making me transparent and letting me like share it's, it's, he's complete it's just, that's the Holy, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit's real. <laughs> because he's completely renovated like who I was. Um, But it's still very hard for me to let people um, do those things. I have gotten better at it um, because God's allowed circumstances in my life to completely break me down, you know? And so, um, and I don't know if he did that on purpose. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like there's a pattern where God really wants to just, he, I, I think he's really turned off by my self-sufficiency, and yet I, in my mind, think he he wants me to be self-sufficient, you mm. know, and yet he doesn't. He wants to, because the first place it hinders is me letting him be there for me, yeah. you know, yeah, and like really be there and care for me and hold me and um, protect me. So then it goes out to letting other people be there, but I've just, um, I just have you know, practiced <laughs> saying yes. Um, sometimes I forget the people that offer to help. And so I'll, I keep a list on my phone so that when, it, when I really need help, I actually can remember who to call. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I really do think that self-sufficiency, you know, I don't think there's many things that can hinder community more than us not needing each other, you mm. know? Mm. And, um, I talk about how Paul became comfortable with his weakness and that God wants us to be comfortable in our weakness because it get you know, it keeps us dependent on him and, um, and, and, and comfortable with needing each other. And I think it's the, you know, it's our weaknesses that often keep us connected. Like it was, you know, you might not have wanted to think of yourself as a mom. It was your weakness that made you need a mentor, but it was, um, a weakness is a lack, you mm. know? Mm. So it's where we're lacking there's this beautiful opportunity for someone else to come in and fill that gap. And, you know, that's what the Bible talks about. Jesus talks about, Paul talks about just the body of Christ and um, us. I mean, that's just the beauty of community. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we live in oftentimes in a culture that has taught us so much about being independent. And, you know, we go to school to study a subject so that we can become independent and not need our textbooks. But with, with Jesus and with the Bible, it seems like the more I need him, you know, the more I need his word. And like, there's this interdependence, it's an upside down economy, but beauty comes when we need each other. Like my most beautiful relationships with women have come out of a season where I needed help. It's, and one example is <clears throat> with us adopting Aster and having older boys, all of a sudden I had a little girl in an age range where I had no friends who had little girls that were two or three. Right. And so all of a sudden I felt like I had, I had very little friends whose schedules were the same as mine. So then it felt like I had very little friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. ended up in a really lonely season of life. Um, and I had, a, I just intentionally started looking for other moms with kids her age and they all became, you know, younger moms. And then I realized, wow, I'm in a unique 
a situation where I have older boys that we've raised and are launching, but I also have a little girl. And so they have something they can give me, which is like, tell me friendship. where to go. Yes. To my little girl. Yeah, little girl stuff and yes. like friendship because I've totally forgotten what it's like to have a little one. Mm. But then I can also speak hope into them when they are just overwhelmed with the monotony and the clingy kids and say, it's worth it. Like you're pouring into them security every time you hold them and you let the toys and the mess, you know, be, and you're with them. I can tell you now, I see it in my boys and they tell me they were glad I was there, that it built a security in them. So Mm. out of my lack, I had a need. And then I ended up doing similar to your mentor. I opened my home to just four young moms and they would come over once a week and we had babies and little ones crawling all over the place. And we would just sit on the floor and talk and you know, I do a really little devotion, um, but it's actually how I developed new friends. It was last summer that I did that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was out of my weakness, out of my lack that I then looked for a way also to meet someone else's needs. So it was just a mutual sense and need of community. Well, and I think um, out of a place of you being in a leadership role at Proverbs 31, I know that that probably adds a la- layer of trickiness and isolation yeah. to um, women maybe perceiving incorrectly that everything's fine for you and that you have it all together, like you mentioned in your story. And um, I think sometimes, like, I will look to younger moms and think, no, I really like you. I really want to be a friend. <laughs> and they think, oh, no, she's fine. She's got it all together. She's older. And I'm like, no, yeah. I I really value your friendship. I think you're really wise yourself. and mm-hmm. And I kind of you know, need a pep talk every now and then. I mean, I do need a pep talk. I don't kind of, I need a pep talk every now and then. And I need your friendship, um, for that younger mom to not assume that everything's fine for the older woman. I agree. And I think that is a really easy assumption to make too. Yeah. Or if we're in roles, like, you know, you have a leadership role with having a podcast, like anytime people have some kind of public role, there's an assumption that can come with it. And like, oh, she doesn't have time or she's, she's speaking life in other people. So she doesn't have any needs, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah. And we have to put ourselves out there and say, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I really, really, really do. I do. Yeah. Oh, Renee, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your time and all your great stories. And y'all check out this book, Craving Connections. We only talked about one of the 30 ways. So so it is so great. There's 30 different challenges and every single chapter has like real life application. And as you mentioned earlier, several of your friends and several of mine, it's 30 different women writing from different perspectives, but, but all with the same heart um, for such a, a desire for authentic community. It's really one of my favorite books. I've read through the whole thing with all the contributors. We read it together and I'm online in a private Facebook group and shared and, oh, it's so good. So I'm really hoping that um, women will host like in real life groups and go through the book together and um, or churches. You know, I just think this is going to be a great um, a launch pad for really great conversations mm-hmm. and um, on all kinds of different things that we struggle with or have experienced good and bad in friendship and how to overcome those and move forward towards, you know, real life community. And I know that I also want to share with, I didn't even get to share this with you, but yeah. probably um, by the time your podcast, this podcast airs, um, my role, I've made a shift in my role with Proverbs. So I actually recently stepped down and, um, yeah, so I am, um, transitioned out of full-time work to um, be home with Astor Moore and focus on my next book and doing still some speaking, but after 21 years, just feeling God calling me to just a new season of life and ministry and slowing down my pace. So, um, some people might already know that by the time they hear this, but yeah, so I won't be on the air with the radio show anymore. Um, but hopefully still doing some things and radio and podcasting, but just, just slowing down our pace and a new season of life, huge transition, but it's been, it's been hard at first, but really good. Um, always hard to pull, to take that step hard. in the other direction yeah. to slow down. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, so worth it. Well, that's exciting news. And where yeah. do people find you online? You have a site. Renee. Yeah, Renee. Yep, my website's reneeswope.com where I blog. And then on Instagram and Twitter, it's just Renee Swope. And on Facebook, I'm pretty easy to find. Just It's my name. Very cool. Very, yeah. very cool. And 
We're excited for your new book, too. Thank you. Keep in the loop about that. But thank you for sharing. We appreciate you. We thank you for your authenticity and grace and your sharing with all of us. So thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. One more thing I wanted to say before we go. Uh, this past weekend, we had my dad's graduation ceremony. That's what he called it. Uh, it's funeral service. And he was very adamant before he passed on exactly what that would look like and who would speak. And he had chosen eight men that were good friends of his. And I grew up knowing as men and families in our lives and I heard them speak one after the other about how they kind of grew up in the faith together from the 70s on, and they discipled one another, and how influential my dad was to helping them in different areas of their testimony and their walk. And what struck me was, here was the end of my dad's life, and there were all these people who came to the viewing and came to the service who he'd influenced and his friendship had mattered to them enough to come out on a dreary January day in Indianapolis to honor him. And I just think that how we spend our days and how we spend our time really does matter. Online community is great. And I have so many amazing friends that send me encouragement and things, but these real life people, these people that I can reach out, hug, cry on their shoulder they're the ones that I live life with. And in the day and age of social media, we can sometimes get our quick fix with that, that connection online, but you need your real people. And if you, if our conversation today with Renee didn't spur that on in you, I just hope that the testimony of my dad's um, funeral service and all those men that spoke on his behalf would inspire you to think about at the end of your days, who do you want to be there celebrating your life? Um, anyway, just something to think about. And so to also spur you on to get together with real life people and to not mom alone, I wanted to bring up the GCM podcast club. Now y'all know this is just something organic. I'm not going to super micromanage this thing. Carla Goodwin, I interviewed her. You can go back and listen to that episode. She came up with the idea for her small group. She and I put together a little curriculum last fall, and then she's helped me with a winter curriculum for moms. And then Sarah Gill, she has offered to lead like a Facebook group for you leaders. Uh, She also helped put together a couples curriculum. So this week, if you are already signed up for that email list, you can go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club to get information on how to sign up for that email list. But if you're on that list, you'll get an email from me this week. If you're not on the list and you sign up, you'll still get a link to get that curriculum. I'm not charging anything for it. It's nothing super fancy. It's six weeks of episodes with discussion questions. So what's available now is the fall curriculum that we put together, those six episodes and questions, and this new winter curriculum with six episodes and questions, and then the couples curriculum. And we just want it to be a blessing to you and make it easier for you to get together with your people. How often you get together, where you get together, how many people come and get together, It doesn't really matter. Bring your kids. Don't bring your kids. Go out to dinner. Stay in somebody's house. All that's up to you. I just want you to get together with people. I want you to walk this road together. If you're already listening to the podcast, why not discuss it and and be together with real life people? So I hope that makes sense. Again, just go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club for more information. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.